Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide, does a certain job sound interesting to them? And if yes, how do they go about exploring it further? Now, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about business development in tech. And this is an area that we've covered once before on the podcast. That was episode number 86, where we had Sanjana Tandon on our show. She's done business development at Hulu and Dropbox and Intuit. But on today's episode, our guest is Christina Cordova, and she is part of the business development team at Stripe. She was, in fact, the very first business development hire at Stripe. Now, Stripe, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a high-growth technology company that enables individuals and businesses to accept payments over the internet. And towards the end of 2016, they were valued at $9 billion. It might be higher now. And as part of Stripe, Christina has led deals with some very well-known companies such as Apple, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, GoDaddy, and many more. Before Stripe, Christina was the head of business development at Pulse, which was later acquired by LinkedIn. So yes, she has very good business development experience. In terms of her educational background, she has a bachelor's in political science from Stanford University. So I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. And with that, let's welcome Christina. Christina, hello. 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 Hi there. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time, Christina. Really happy to have you on. And of course, happy to be here. Yeah, and are you ready to talk about business development? Yes, as much <laughs> as possible, I will talk your ear off. <laughs> All right. So I thought that to kick things off, maybe before we dive into the details of business development itself, maybe we can do a very quick rapid fire just to sort of show some of the really interesting and unique aspects of this job. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So my first question for you. What is the largest deal size that you've driven by yourself? Sure. Uh, by myself, I would say biggest deal probably brought up around a billion dollars in, in revenue um, to the company that I've worked for. So that would be dollars directly to the company as a result of that. Wow. that That's a huge number. So a billion dollars in annual revenue. Mm-hmm. That's right. Wow, that, that's a big responsibility. Okay, all right. So we, we'll definitely want to go into a little bit of how do you mm-hmm. handle a partnership which is clearly worth so much money because you want to make sure that you don't make any mistakes. Uh, but my second question for you as part of the rapid fire, what is the longest negotiation that you've sat in in one sitting? Sure, I'd say the longest has probably been um, about three hours where I you know, locked myself in a room with a partner to hammer out the the final oh, details wow. of a pretty important agreement. Three hours is a long time. And why was it that long? <laughs> uh, there was a lot we disagreed on. Okay. <laughs> and we had to come together ultimately at the end of the day. And uh, we had actually a, a product launch that was coming up. And we needed to get this done in a very like finite period of time. So whereas you know, you might spread that three hours across like two or three week time frame of different negotiation calls. We needed to get it done within a day or two, actually, um, I see, yeah. in terms of the big components of the deal. Uh, so had to spend a lot, a lot of time in a, in a room that got very warm <laughs> <laughs> I can with, imagine. A, with potential partner. <laughs> so uh, would you call yourself a good negotiator? 
Um, I would say I'm pretty good. But at the same time, you know, I think everyone has their own different negotiating styles. And so my style may not mesh very well with someone else's style. But, you know, I try to be as reasonable and rational as possible mm-hmm. uh, when negotiating. And that, that's generally my technique and trying to see it from the other person's side. How would you characterize your negotiation style? Um, I would say generally friendly. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the person who comes across as like extremely aggressive, but understanding what leverage I do have to operate um, and using that to my advantage, uh, but trying to make something that's positive for both folks at the end of the day. Like I want the other person to walk out of the room and and generally feel good and not feel like they lost. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think I, I want people to w- walk out of the room and, and feel like they won. And then I can feel like I won at the end of the day. And, and then it's you know, mutually beneficial to both parties. So that, that, that I, th- I think generally speaks to my negotiation style. And I try to also adopt to whatever style the other party works best in. So, you know, for example, if someone's a very visual negotiator, and, you know, they don't want to just, you know, kind of look at their computer with their negotiating agreement and points and, and I'll look at mine. Then I'll actually like share a screen with them and we'll go like line by line down a contract. Right. Um, and so they can see the changes that I'm making and that I'm proposing. And then we can decide whether or not we agree uh, about them at the time. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then my last question for you is that you worked across a number of deals what has been the biggest difference between the sizes of the companies uh, that you worked with? So in terms of the the size of the company that you were at yourself and then the size of the company that you were partnering with? Sure. Yeah. So um, at my last company, I was actually uh, the first employee. And when I, I think when the company was about 15 people or so, we ended up doing a, a deal with Samsung which is about, I want to say like 300,000 employees, (laughs) definitely over a hundred billion in, in revenue. So that was a, that was a very unique deal and a lot of late nights, um, and time zones (laughs) uh, to try to get that one done. This is when you were at Pulse. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But this is, this is great because it really illustrates just the level of impact and the scale of things that you're working on right? Like a billion dollar deal size working with companies like Samsung, which are gigantic, while you're what 15 odd people in one single company, that's a big deal. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So I I, want to ask you what is business development. But very quickly, one thing which struck me about your profile, it seems that you have a background in political science. And then you've gotten into marketing and business development. So tell, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to business development. I would say uh, the thing that attracted me most about business development was actually in my early days, um, I was interning for a technology company called Tapulous, which was a mobile gaming company based in Palo Alto. And I was interning there in my entire senior year of college. And uh, right before my senior year, I actually realized that I didn't want to become a lawyer and kind of (laughs) go down the traditional political science path. And um, eventually decided that um, I wanted to try out startups because I felt like startups seemed so like fast moving and technology forward. And it was kind of the opposite of the things that I disliked about the legal industry, which was that it was slow moving and you had to go to law school and then train as an associate um, until you could get you know the the best and biggest cases. And I feel like I very much 
wanted to work on deals, but maybe not necessarily from the perspective of a lawyer and much more from the perspective of someone who was doing um, the deal making as the business person. Hmm. So uh, when I was at that startup, there was actually a business development function and the person within that function hired me. And I wasn't necessarily doing a lot of business development work, but I had a taste of it. Maybe about 20% of my time is what I uh, kind of worked on when I was there. And I actually prepped a deck to kind of sell our very first advertising units for the game that we were building. And it was custom ad units for a new like, Warner Brothers movie that was coming out. <laughs> and I think it was like a maybe like a $500,000 deal or something in revenue. So like relatively small, but you know, I was working on every single slide and I like built that presentation from scratch and it actually gave me the very first taste of, you know, what could be possible knowing that like I was an intern and had absolutely no business doing what I was doing. Um, and that was the thing that really, really excited me. Yeah. And I think it was going from, you know, not having anything in terms of something to sell to having a product to sell. And by that, I mean, like really kind of, you know, inventing it on the fly with the product team and then hoping that we could like finish the product in time in order to actually yeah. go live um, with the partner. Um, and then, you know, selling it to the advertiser and ultimately winning it, right? So it wasn't like a sales process that was repeatable, like you would find at a traditional company that was later stage, if you were coming in as a salesperson, it was something where you were really just trying to figure out, like, could this even work? Would advertisers like this? Would people buy this? Um, and that's how we figured it out from from the early days. So I really like that excitement of trying something new, selling something where I didn't exactly know it was going to work, but tried to find mutual value between the company that I was working for and the, and the company on the opposite side of the table. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, there's clearly a lot of excitement in this space. And if, if you're attracted to that ambiguity and sort of doing things on the fly, then it seems like a very good option. But I, I do want to just ask you one quick follow up that uh, when you were interning at this company, you, for some reason, you were attracted to business development and you decided to go work for that team. And then and then you really enjoyed it. Your first deal was a great experience. But I guess what I'm asking is that why did you decide to apply? Why sure. business so development? Yeah. The, the, the role itself, the internship, wasn't necessarily like a business development internship, to be clear. Hmm. It was a, you know, generalist, like come in here as a non-technical person at a startup and do whatever is necessary to make the business successful. Like that, that was the internship. So I think in many ways, I had no idea what business development was. It was only until like I met this person at this company and he needed me to work on this particular deal because, you know, he had a bunch of other things to do. Um, and that's where, you know, I really was able to have the room to grow and explore and figure out what this deal could be. And then I realized like, oh, that's business development. Now right. I understand. Okay. I see. I get it. Um, and I had a better appreciation for what he did within the company. And then I eventually left that company and started as the first business development person at Buzz. Pulse, which yeah. is my next company. Right. So um, I had a good sense of what it was kind of going into it. Um, and then it just happened to be that at Pulse, business development was a very crucial role for that company. And business development isn't necessarily always a crucial role for every technology company. Mm. So as a result of my prior experience at Tapulous, I was able to kind of segue into that role. And, you know, ha having been someone who was fresh out of college, you know, have more experience than, you know, probably your average person coming 
out of college with a role that was fairly unique and not necessarily a standard role that someone would apply for or get into straight out of school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you definitely got lucky because this person on in your company needed someone to help him out in this on this deal. And you were available and that really exposed you to this completely different area, which you otherwise may not have been exposed to. But it, yes. it does illustrate a really important point about, you know, how it's important to sort of put yourself out there and meet as many people as possible because you never know who needs what and what might interest you even a little bit. And you might find something very different from what you're aware of until at that point of time, right? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think it also emphasizes the you know notion of taking risks, like, I had a job during my senior year of, of college uh, that was a paid job, which I, I needed um, because I, you know, very much needed that money to support myself while I was in school. And I decided to apply to this like, you know, tech startup internship full well knowing that like I was not going to get paid. And for the first three months, it was actually an unpaid internship. And, you know, I took that risk because I knew that, a lot of startups don't have tons of money to throw around on interns. And two, this would very much potentially give me the experience that I needed to be able to make that career transition. So uh, it was a risk I took. And then you know, three months later, they started paying me and everything was fine. But it was a uh, it was a calculated risk, ultimately. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, I should get to the question of what is business development. But then I, I think <laughs> it's important to understand this because it is a question which I think comes in front of a lot of people that is, you know, okay, there's something which looks like an interesting option, but it feels a little bit of a risk. I'm not sure if I should take the risks. So what was, what did you evaluate to make you believe that this was a risk worth taking? Sure. So I had a friend who had actually interned there previously. And she told me about her experience there. She had a really great one, got to work on a number of different projects, which is very interesting to me as someone who was very earlier in their career, didn't know necessarily what they wanted to do. And I felt like this would be an opportunity that would expose me to a bunch of different opportunities. One was business development. Um, others were community and marketing and customer support, all those things. So I got a lot of exposure and, and I knew I would get that going into it. And then the other thing was just the ability to get to work with a you know kind of a well-funded technology company. They had a fair number of, of well-known investors. Um, so that was interesting to me in terms of you know having some level of credibility attached to it. And some, you know, safety net, especially because, you know, I did in a lot of ways need that job for the money after a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's what I was thinking about um, kind of going into it. Uh, The last thing I would also add to it was that the company was doing mobile in a day that was, you know, very early for, for mobile. The company had actually built the first version of their game before the app store had even existed. So, you know, if you think about how revolutionary apps are into your, your daily life, I felt like this was a company that at the time, you know, was you know, very popular and building, you know, a ton of apps that you know, millions of, of people used. And so as a result of that, I felt like it was a good bet in terms of a, a strategic area for technology. Um, right. And obviously mobile paid off. And a lot of what I learned there was very, very useful at Pulse, which was a very mobile, you know, heavy company mm-hmm. in terms of its focus as well. 
Right. No, this is really helpful because you clearly went in knowing that even if this fails, you would get something out of it. You would make those relationships with those investors. You would learn something which was going to be helpful for you even later on. So it didn't really matter. I mean, of course, it would be great if the company was successful, uh, but you would sure. still get a lot of skills out of it. Okay. So, yes. so then coming to the main question, what is business <laughs> development? Sure. So I think business development means different things to different people. And, and I'm totally open to that. Um, at different companies, I think you'll find that business development is effectively a different word for sales. But I, I think at the companies that we generally work with, and by we, I mean, you know, uh, companies like, you know, Google and Apple and you know, Stripe and uh, companies like Dropbox, when you're talking about business development or strategic partnerships, which is kind of a, another word for in a lot of ways the same thing. I think what you're talking about there is really the pursuit of strategic opportunities for long-term value for a company. So I think you can look at that in a few ways. I can go with what it's not, which is... Um, from a sales perspective, right, it's not this notion of selling a product to a customer um, on a repeatable basis. So, you know, if you were at Google, for example, um, selling AdWords to you know a, a big company, uh, whether that's like Macy's or Target or whoever it might be, uh, that might be strategic, uh, but it's a repeatable sale and it's a product that has long been out there. So the way that I look at business development versus sales is that sales is generally selling what's on the truck. Hmm. what's already kind of going out to the customer and that business development is really focused about what's going to be on the truck a year from now. So business development is out there trying to figure out what are the next products that might be a great opportunity to become a product that is sold uh, repeatedly, you know, three years down the line. And as a result, that requires much more work to figure out what is the ecosystem at play? What is the new market for that particular product or that service? And how can you cultivate the partnerships and commercial relationships to ensure that those products and those services are successful at the end of the day? So as a result, it's much earlier stage um, and it's a lot more risky uh, in that you will likely do a number of deals that do not pay off. I've never met a business development person who only did great deals. You're going to do a lot of deals that turn out to be complete failures. And then you're going to do a lot of things that end up being moonshots and, and taking off and doing really well. But the whole idea is that um, you will have things that are going to be highly variable in terms of their success um, because you're supposed to be taking on those you know, strategic bets for big opportunities for the company. Right. So this is really, really helpful because basically what you're saying is that as someone in business development, as opposed to someone in sales, you almost need to have some sort of a vision for the future or some sort of this is where the market is going to be and this is what needs to exist in that market. And then I think the key difference as opposed to, let's say, a product manager is that you fulfill mm-hmm. that vision through partnerships. So you are working with other companies to get to that future state, whatever that is. Correct. Right. Exactly. So and are these uh, these partnerships, do they always end up being some sort of product partnerships that, hey, let's build this together or c- can it be other things also? Yeah, I would generally say... Um, Something is often being built either by 
your company or the partner's company and often both Mm -hmm. um, in order to make a strategic partnership successful. I would say that there are certainly partnerships where, you know, nothing is built and maybe it's like one company is referring users to the other company and maybe like a, a marketing email is sent. And, you know, those are in a lot of cases for certain companies, depending on what they're looking to do, drive growth or market, but they're not necessarily what I would consider to be the most strategic of business development opportunities to spend time on within a given company. So I think generally your best business development people will probably gravitate toward the deals that involve a significant amount of of, product involvement, whether that is new products that are enabled by the deals that you are doing as a business development person, or you are going out and kind of building those new products by virtue of the deal that you're building. Hmm, hmm, I see. So can you maybe share examples of some interesting business development deals that you have worked on? Sure. So um, let's see. Um, I've done everything from in my time at Pulse, worked on a deal to get preloaded on the Amazon Kindle Fire, which um, Mm. is a tablet device made by Amazon. Um, And because we were a free app, we were looking for as much distribution as possible. And that meant uh, getting preloaded on as many devices. You can't do this on an iPhone because uh, Apple owns um, all the software that um, ultimately appears on the home screen when you first get your device. But with a lot of Android devices, that's not necessarily the case. So um, that led to a significant amount of of user growth for us at Pulse, which was primarily the goal of the partnerships that that I was doing um, versus like revenue growth. And then at Stripe, I would say generally for us, user growth generally means revenue growth because our our businesses uh, process payments with Stripe that we take a cut of the transaction on. Mm. So a couple of deals that I've worked on in my time there, one would be um, with Apple. I led our partnership to effectively integrate with Apple Pay, brand new product that Apple was launching. um, And ensured that all of Stripe users, um, Stripe's users could have Apple Pay available on day one. Um, and that it was a product that was deeply integrated with our core service so that you only had to add a few lines of code to your Stripe integration so that you could offer Apple Pay mm-hmm. as a payment method to your customers as a Stripe business. Nice. Um, and that enabled effectively on day one in the App Store, over 50% of the apps that had Apple Pay support were powered by Stripe. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah. Another another example would be you know, our partnership with Facebook. So we power an experience that enables every Facebook page owner. So if you're a business, you know, Sally's T-shirt shop, for example, you likely have a Facebook page. Um, and on that Facebook page, you can actually sell products within your own page. So a uh, Facebook user can click one of your posts that says buy, enter in their credit card information without ever having to leave Facebook and actually purchase that product without ever having to leave the site. Um, And that works across web and mobile. um, And we power all those transactions for Facebook shops. Um, So yeah, these are are great examples and very powerful examples. So just to make sure listeners understand. So as an example, in the Kindle Fire example that you took, because Stripe came preloaded, any user who would buy something on that tablet 
it would be powered by Stripe. And so Stripe. Oh, Antone. sorry. The Kindle Fire was actually um, Pulse. Oh, okay. Um, so it was the it was the news reading app that was preloaded on Kindle Fire. And so every Kindle Fire user would automatically have our app once they opened the device for the very first time. I see. So since since your goal was distribution in that deal, you are automatically Correct. got all the all the people who were already who were on Kindle Fire. Okay, got it. So maybe take one of these projects, or maybe some uh, another project that you haven't mentioned yet, but any project that stands out in your mind as either being very interesting or challenging, and then let's walk through the sort of the stages in the project and the activities that you engaged in in various stages, and uh, you don't have to share anything confidential, but. Uh, yeah, take any example and then let's go into it. Sure. Um, so the deal I mentioned with Samsung earlier, which was actually a, a partnership that I led at Pulse, hmm. um, was a good example of a, of a partnership. And for us, it was very similar to Amazon. We were trying to get the application that we built preloaded on uh, Samsung devices. I believe they're like Galaxy line of devices. And that required... Um, some hefty negotiations in terms of figuring out what would make sense for you know, a partnership with a big company like Samsung and a partnership with a company uh, that was very small, like Pulse, um, and trying to make something that worked for both parties. Mm-hmm. So let me, uh, so before we go into the details, let me ask you a quick question. I'm imagining that you are at Pulse, right? And, and the business development team is thinking about, okay, we need to get more distribution. How do we do that? So how do you get to the stage of saying that we think we should partner with Samsung? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think in a number of ways we were thinking about you know, what are strategic ways to, to drive growth. Hmm. So in a number of ways for the app itself at the time, you could either you know, go through the path of trying to drive organic downloads to work your way up the app store charts, which was definitely something that we were doing. And another thing that we could potentially do was you know figure out how to advertise to get more users to download the app on various channels uh, that would cost a significant amount of money and we were trying to be fairly conscious of costs at the time mm-hmm. so that wasn't something that we explored and then last in a number of ways we thought well you know on Android, you can have a device delivered to you and and that can be preloaded with a number of different applications wouldn't pulse be great if it was the default news rating app on any of these devices. Mm-hmm. So instead of, let's say, um, Samsung or LG or any of these companies going out and building their own news rating applications, mm-hmm. why doesn't Pulse just become default preloaded as, as the best app for that particular device? So you know, our pitch to a company like Samsung was that you didn't have to do any of the development work to ensure that you could offer this app as something that was preloaded. Whereas, you know, for example, with all of Apple's applications at the time, Apple was doing all the work to build out each and every single one of those applications on their own. So that would save them a significant amount of engineering time. And two, we worked with them to ensure that the content that was preloaded was actually content that they approved of um, and that would be relevant to their users. So, you know, for example, maybe their users weren't as necessarily interested in, let's say, uh, The New Yorker, but were much more interested in, let's say, you know, something at the time was like Engadget yeah. or The New York Times. And as a result, we could craft a content strategy that would be a good fit 
um, for their user base, which would be effectively as good as building your own custom app. Got it, got it, got it. So this, this is interesting. I I have a quick follow-up question regarding the outreach piece. And, and you sort of alluded to it that, hey, you know, like why will Samsung partner with like this tiny startup Pulse with 15 employees, right? So <laughs> right. How, how did you even, re, re, literally, like I want to understand once you guys decided that Samsung would be a great partnership to have, what did you do? Like, did you like, send a cold mail to the business development head at Samsung? Like, how does that work? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, you know, I can't, so many years ago now, and I must be getting old, but I, I can't exactly remember how we did that outreach. You know, I think it, it's possible that they may have even come to us because we were fairly high up in the App Store charts at that time. So definitely could have been the case. And I, I will say that's definitely true now, having worked across multiple companies at an early stage side size, that a lot of large companies will actually come and, and reach out to you. But general, in a lot of cases for like the wrong reasons, maybe because they want to acquire you and like you don't want to be acquired, but you'll talk to them anyway. And it'll waste a lot of time <laughs> um, unless you can find the right person within the organization that's not trying to buy you, but trying to partner with you. And then two, you know, at the same time, um, we had certainly good investors at that time who could put us in touch with a lot of contacts of the companies that we needed to work with, which was definitely useful. And, you know, we still use that um, tactic today in you know, my work with, with Stripe as well. And then last but not least, you know, definitely in my time at Pulse, especially in the early days, because I joined before we actually had any investors. And that was a time ultimately where you didn't have nearly as many connections. Mm-hmm. And um, I was doing a lot of uh, cold LinkedIn messaging and uh, guessing people's email addresses uh, <laughs> to reach out to them. So it was probably some combination of, of those three things. Awesome. Yes. But but I, I really like the third point because I think that sort of goes to show that if you're at a really small company and you do not have access to this network, then you do have to resort to cold mailing and just figuring out how to reach out and who to reach out to. Um, another question that this brings up is that how important is your own personal network as far as this outreach piece is concerned? Sure. I would say it's it's quite important and you know i say that now because it's quite easy for me as you know someone who's at stripe in uh, silicon valley with you know a number of connections through previous companies that i've worked at other companies that i've partnered at and you know those people then move on and end up working at a lot of companies in, in our industry that it's fairly easy for me to get in touch with people that i need to get in touch with through friends of friends And so I would say it's important to have those connections. However, I wouldn't say that when I think about hiring someone to do business development, for example, that I look at like them having a great network as a requirement. Okay. So in general, because Stripe is as a company fairly like well connected as is, you know, I want someone who can be very creative and fearless in deal terms, be smart and have raw horsepower, be a great communicator. And I'm going to prioritize all of those things over having a great network because the network comes with being at strife. Exactly. Um, And as a result, no one needs that necessarily coming in. It's highly possible that if you're looking for someone to join a company that is 30 people, 
you may want someone who's already very, very well networked. Um, or if you're trying to bring on someone who's going to do a very specific kind of deal, like only work with handset manufacturers or only work with education companies, that you may want someone who's very well versed in that particular industry mm-hmm. uh, versus you know someone who um, doesn't necessarily have those industry contacts. So as a result of that, I think you might need someone who has a uh, a wider network, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's something that I generally look for. Um, I'm, I'm generally looking for, you know, uh, great kind of capabilities and, and skill sets, um, more so than network in the people that I bring on to my team. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So then let's talk a little bit about the, the deal structuring itself, because I'm guessing that's where the most time goes. So uh, tell us how does that happen and what are the things that you guys think about when you're thinking about structuring a deal? Sure. Um, you know, I would say, you know, one, um, it's great to have someone who can, you know, shepherd all the internal and external stakeholders through the various phases of the deal. And generally, I would say great to have a deal team that can effectively work on everything from ideation, which is, you know, what even are we building here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the right product to work with on the, uh, for this particular partner? So as an example, we've definitely gone to partners and said, hey, we should be working together on a couple of things. You know, we don't have any products that are built out in this space yet, but we're very interested in seeing what we might do here. So we'll go over to their office. Um, we'll get up at the whiteboard and we're going to need to start drawing things out. You know, if we build this API Here's what information will carry through from this application to this other service. Um, those kinds of things can be really good ways of understanding how products might work together at a very early stage. And then once you have a good understanding of how those products might work together, then it's about actually making the pitch. Like, what is your value exchange between the company that you're representing and the company that you're trying to do the deal with? Because what you don't want to do is, you know, and I have people do this all the time, you know, when, now that I'm at Stripe, where people come to our, our company and say, oh, hey, how about you just refer all Stripe users to my company? <laughs> um, and, and we're like, that sounds not so interesting at all. <laughs> so, you know, you have to ensure that there's something in it for both parties yeah. and that the value exchange is fairly equal because if it's not, then you're going to be wasting your time to find, you know, someone to take a deal and it's likely probably going to be the, the worst partner down on your list. Yeah. And then um, you're getting into the kind of core negotiating stage of, what are the terms? If there's, you know, revenue involved, how is that structured? Um, is there going to be a revenue share? You know, what are the costs of the deal? Building out the deal model. Um, if you are talking about a very kind of commercially oriented deal, in a lot of cases, you know, in the early stages, you would do that yourself as the BD person. Um, at a later stage company, you might be working with someone on the finance team to help you build that deal model. And then uh, it's really about making sure that you um, come down to the final deal terms. So, you know, what are the you know, three or four things that really matter to the partner? What are the three or four things that really matter to you as a company? And how can you collaborate to effectively come to a solution that makes sense for both parties? And then you sign on the dotted line for that contract. And then you're figuring out 
how do we actually go and implement? Likely, um, you know, I think in the olden days, you used to, I think, go through the deal process and then start implementing right after you signed. But hopefully you're kind of going through the process of of integration, you know, technical scoping, all those kinds of things while you're in the structuring and closing phase of the deal. Mm. Um, But, um, you know, sometimes that comes much later and that can really help you define, are there things that we're missing as part of this deal based on the product that we're actually integrating with and implementing? And are, is there something that I now know that, you know, prior to actually doing that implementation work, I I may not have known at the beginning. Um, So you want someone who's in a BD role who can frame that negotiation, set up those prep meetings with your company and the other company, ensure that everyone on your side and on the other partner side is informed of all the different things going on and really ensure that you are running a structured deal process from beginning to end. Hmm. So maybe you can share a very quick example to show, uh, it could be a hypothetical example, but just to show, so you mentioned that, you know, how in the contract it's important to say, you know, most likely each company will want to have those three to four things that are most important to them. So just to sort of illustrate what these kind of things could be like, could you share an example? Sure. Yeah. I think some companies going into a deal have a particular maybe margin target mm-hmm. um, that they're looking for, or maybe they're having a, uh, maybe they have like a cost basis in mind, uh, something like that. And so you're trying to figure out, you know, how do they come up with this number? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how can you make sure that what um, works for them in terms of costs is also going to work for you and your business? And then, you know, I would say um, other sticking points, you know, sometimes it's, um, it's legal things, it's, uh, which is, you know, really unfortunate because sometimes there's just someone on the, the partner's legal team which just can't give on something because maybe the company's never given on this particular ask ever. Lawyers are supposed to ultimately protect the company, so they tend to be fairly structured in, in how they go about these processes um, and not necessarily doing a lot of one-offs or things that are custom. Um, So it could be like legal liability for certain things. And as a result, I think in a lot of ways, it's important for someone who's working on BD to kind of pick up and grok legal nuances, even without a legal background. It's it's good to be, in a lot of ways, a part-time lawyer as a business development person uh, for that reason. And then, um, you know, I think in some ways there are probably going to be some deal components that are related to market needs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes a partner comes in and claims that they want X, but really what they want is Y. And there are going to be a lot of trends in the marketplace that are probably going to impact what the partner wants. So, for example, if a competitor to that partner is offering a service for, you know, price Z, then it's highly likely that the product that you're trying to kind of bring in and partner with them on is going to have to be at the same or lower price point so that they can compete. Um, So there might be some market needs that then end up being sticking points as part of that deal. Got it, got it. And, you know, as you were talking to this, you know, one thing which is very apparent about this role is that from the outside, someone might get the impression that, you know, business development is like, you know, that kind of uh, this lone person who is just going out and making deals and negotiating and selling stuff like, you know, like a very like a very glamorous kind of thing, which which I'm sure it is. But I think uh, there's a... (laughs) 
there's a fair amount of product expertise that's also needed, right? Like in what you were describing, this business development person should be able to talk to another business development person and talk about, okay, what are the various product integrations that need to happen or whatever needs to get built and do that in a way while you're making sure that you are protecting your company's interests, right? And you also have to be able to negotiate and sell. So that's a hard combination. (laughs) Yeah, I think... um... I would say that in a lot of cases, you'll find that a lot of BD, a lot of great BD people are generalists in mm. a number of ways. They're pretty good at a lot of things, especially BD people who are coming in and doing well at early stage companies. Because as I mentioned earlier, like they need to do the deal model. They need to be part lawyer because there aren't enough legal resources to help them on a particular deal. Uh, they need to understand the market Um, for the particular partner. They need to understand the product really well because in a lot of cases you might have a very small engineering team and so there may not be a product manager who can be the interface between your company's product team and their company's product team. Um, So I think as a result, you know, business development attracts people who want to have, you know, their hands in a lot of cookie jars because you you get to work on a lot of cross-functional Uh, work as a result of the the work with business development makes sense all right well this was great like this this gives a really nice overview of what business development is overall tell us a little bit about what your typical day is like Like if I were to run into you what kind of things would I find you doing sure so um, generally I would say you know I manage a team so these days I'm I'm probably doing more coaching of people who are working on deals rather than doing deals myself. And so as a result of that, I spend, you know, certainly a lot of time in one-on-ones with people on my team, um, trying to get an understanding of where they're blocked on certain deals, how I can be helpful, running team meetings and cross-functional meetings with other parts of the company, specifically around wherever we have needs from external partners, where we need to do something internally, you know, build new products, uh, new capabilities internally, and we need a plan for that. Um, And that requires a lot of resourcing work internally. So I'll be doing a lot of that at Stripe as well. In addition to that, um, certainly a lot of meetings with partners. That's the probably most external part of, of what I do. I spend a lot of my time internally, but I'm probably about you know 30 or so percent external in my time these days. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure that's someone who's, you are a manager now, but when you were sort of an individual contributor, then I'm sure a much larger percentage of your time was spent in talking to partners. Yeah, I would say it was probably the reverse where probably 70% of my time would be external and 30% of my time would be internal managing. Yeah. So since you do manage a team, how, and again, like you don't have to share anything confidential, but how are you measuring the success or performance of a BD professional? What are certain two to three metrics that you look at to say, okay, he or she is doing well and he or she is not doing as well? So... For us, it's really about can someone work across three core areas for us really well. So one is like execution. So can someone reliably and autonomously solve and execute high level and complex partnerships, owning the strategy and the execution for a set of partners within a functional area? And then two, and this is more, I would say, internal versus external, can someone use their knowledge of 
you know, the organization and our products to determine, you know, what resources they need to execute their strategy and how can they uh, work to attain those resources, you know, as autonomously as possible um, to drive organizational process structures and, and change over time. And then the last piece, and I think this is somewhat underrated for PD people, leadership on the team. Hmm. So specifically, can people on the team mentor others um, who are perhaps newer to Stripe or newer to partnerships? And can they build uh, credibility and be a thought leader within the team cross-functionally and with partners? Um, And that for us is really important because we... You know, you kind of alluded to this earlier when you mentioned that, you know, it feels like, you know, people are kind of going out there solo on their own, doing (laughs) their own deals. And and yes, that's true of a business development, you know, at Stripe, for example. But I I think really great business development is really focused on, you know, what's best for the company at the end of the day. And so it, it really should be oriented on operating as a team and operating as a full company rather than just doing a deal that seems glamorous because uh, you're working with a big name company um, that's worth, you know, billions of dollars in revenue. And you need to really focus on, you know, what's important for the company and the team at the end of the day um, in the work that you do and in the time that you spend on ensuring that others on the team um, are as equipped to do great work as you are. Yeah, yeah. This is not like a commissioned job, right? Like you get a fixed salary. Oh, no. Yeah, not a commissioned job. I I think uh, if you have a business development job that is commissioned, it's probably just business development in name only and it's really a sales (laughs) Sales job. job. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, definitely business development in my mind is is a not kind of commissioned um, uh, role. And it's generally a salaried role with some type of, you know, bonus structure like right. you would experience in in other kind of non-sales oriented yeah. roles. Yeah, the reason I ask is that uh, let's say, I mean, you described the three qualities that you're looking at, right? Execution, how resourceful this person is and in getting whatever things that are needed to execute the deal and then leadership. But let's say I I'm repeatedly working on deals that are not working out and for no clear fault of mine really. It's just something happened, right? Because the deal ultimately is the coming together of two separate entities. So things could go wrong on the other side also. So would that play into my performance? Um, Not necessarily, no. Um, We've definitely worked with partners that ended up not being successful through no fault of our own. (laughs) Uh, And by that, I mean, like maybe their business wasn't successful, (laughs) but you didn't necessarily, you couldn't tell that at the outset. And then two, you know, we certainly have built products that had particular partners in mind, and maybe those partners weren't particularly successful in utilizing those products, you know, but I think what is telling about what we do is that it's a team effort in that everybody is on the same page and believes that this is the right strategy when you're executing. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out a year later that you know maybe this wasn't the right strategy, um, that's understandable. And we expect that there will be times when we fail. And it doesn't mean that you as a business development person are not doing a good job. It just means that we took a bet that didn't necessarily pay off. Um, But I found that a lot of the really great business development people that I've met have a few of those cases, right, where they've done something that didn't really pay off 
Um, and then it turns out six months later, they did something that, that worked out really well, or maybe all that was off at the beginning of um, that particular partnership was timing. Um, and it just took longer to pay off than expected. So, um, yeah, the whole point of, of this particular team is that you take risks, whereas, you know, a sales team, you're not supposed to be taking risks. You're supposed to be finding opportunities with guaranteed revenue. (laughs) So, um, you know, the goal is to, in in a lot of cases, ideally take risks and, and not be successful for a portion of them. Right. Right. So, what, according to you, are the most interesting aspects of this job? And so like the, the intent of this question is, if you were to pitch business development to someone that this is why you should get into business development, what would you say to that person? Sure. I would say, um, one, if you like being really cross-functional and working across engineering, product, design, in a lot of cases, operational teams, legal, et cetera, that can be a really great kind of skill to learn, both working across multiple different teams. um, And it can be something that really gives you a a great sense of, you know, what are the different opportunities for me long-term? It gives you a lot of exposure within a company. You get to know a lot of people internally and you get a lot, get to know a lot of people externally as well. Mm -hmm. So you get that, you know, exposure across the board and, and then a, a good sense of what working with different kinds of people and, and being a good communicator uh, uh, takes in order to do that. I would say in terms of doing this kind of role, if you like to be very strategic and think about markets, thinking about ideas from uh, that really early whiteboarding stage all the way through to execution, then this is a, a really good fit for someone um, in this role. If someone is extremely detail-oriented or they're looking to learn how to be, this is a great role for that. I, for example, expect everyone to effectively read every word of every contract that we do, including (laughs) all the language. Um, And those are things that really ensure that people are thinking through all the implications of of what that contract says. And then, you know, last but not least, I think if someone is interested in working on strategic opportunities that are really focused on putting the company first versus the individual themselves or their team. You know, I think this is a a really great role because it's ultimately something that is fairly high stakes. Um, You can be working on um, opportunities that have, you know, either a really big positive impact or a really big negative impact for the company. And as a result, the, the highest highs are, quite amazing and, 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 and thrilling and can have, you know, much more you know, outsized impact than you would imagine one individual at a company could have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think the stressful piece is definitely something important to call out that the job with I think this job in particular should have some l- relatively higher levels of stress just because you know you might have some high high impact deal and then maybe maybe it's a difficult partnership maybe it's a difficult negotiation so you're just sort of trying to figure it out so you should be okay with that kind of thing uh, yeah definitely and i think one thing which really stands out for me as an outsider is that this role seems to be a very different way of looking at growth. Like a lot of people tend to think about growth as, okay, you know, I just somehow need to get my product in front of more people. I just need to Mm -hmm. somehow do advertising. I think partnerships, if executed well, can be a very good and a much higher impact way of seeing that growth 
rather than you know sort of the the organic sort of keep on pushing 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 so if you like to think about those kind of things then uh, then again this could be a good role exactly so uh, are there any aspects about this job that you do not like hmm um well i mean you touched on one which is the stress piece right <laughs> <laughs> um you know i i definitely think especially when you're in a very high stakes partnership which can take a turn for the worse it it can be very stressful you know i'll give you an example of a partnership i was working on with a uh, an OEM in Asia when I was at my last company where, um, you know, in the middle of the night, I think one in the morning, um, I got a call from the partner's engineering team. Um, and, and they said, Hey, um, unless I can fix this bug, um, I'm not going to be allowed to go home tonight. Um, and this was, you know, like maybe 5 PM their time or something like that. And, um, you know, at that point, I was like, it's one in the morning. I have no idea what to do, nor am I the right person to actually fix this problem because yeah. it's a, a bug in our software code. Yeah. So things like that where, you know, you're trying to do absolutely everything you possibly can. And in a lot of cases, it's completely outside of your control. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the most stressful part. Whereas, you know, if you're an engineer, you know, you're building everything from end to end um, and maybe deadlines are stressful. But in the case of partnerships, you know, you're somewhat taking a roll of the dice in terms of, you know, what you have control over at any given time. And then second, I would say you are in a lot of cases obligated to work with people who you have no control over. Uh, so as opposed to people who are on your team who you can uh, vet for a good fit with your company culture and ensure that they, they work with your team well and other parts of the organization well, with people who are on the opposite side on another partnerships team or on another partner's product team, for example, you know, you don't really have any control over um, what their culture is like how their company is going to interact with and work with yours. So, you know, I think if you aren't used to operating with different working styles, different personalities, it can be somewhat hard to do this kind of job because um, you are extremely external facing and that means you just have to adapt to different companies' ways of, of, of operating, different personalities and styles. Right. Um, and so that's a, a very crucial piece to this role. Uh, yeah. And then last but not least, I, I would just say, um, if you don't like working with product or engineering teams, probably not the right role for you either. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think we are particularly close with those teams internally, and I think you have to be a great representative for those teams externally and that you shouldn't just necessarily take whatever the partner says in terms of, you know, what they want to build or what they want to achieve, um, and blindly bring that back to your product team and say, hey, we need to implement X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, that's not necessarily the best way to work internally. So you both have to, you know, represent your company, um, and that includes your, your product and your engineering team, um, and also ensure that you are working you know, on behalf of your partner. So you are, you know, a representative of multiple constituents at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. So the, is there something like a typical background for people in business development? Um, I, I wouldn't say so, honestly. You know, I've found that a, a lot of people who 
who end up coming into business development roles have been deal people in some other capacity. So as an example, I know a fair number of people who've gone into business development who were previously in a legal function, and they decided that they wanted to stop negotiating the legal terms and start negotiating the business terms as part of their job. So um, they made that transition. I found that a lot of people um, have also come from maybe like uh, venture capital um, or investment banking where they had to do a lot of deal-oriented work that was maybe a little bit more finance-oriented or more straightforward or Mm well-structured, those kinds of things. And then I've also found on the flip side that you'll often find people coming in from maybe marketing or product management um, in a number of cases because... Um, those folks have a tendency to be extremely detail-oriented, uh, like to work extremely cross-functionally, and are able to think about markets and impact of, of products really well right. as well. Right, yeah. So if you were to th- think about the best business development professionals that you've worked with, what are some three to five traits that you think would be common across those five people? Sure. So I would say... Um, pragmatic uh, mm-hmm. would be one and and then also kind of keeping the big picture in mind so ultimately there are a number of folks who think about you know what is important to the company what is important to you know this particular team and then they optimize everything for that particular area so you know the opposite of that is um, trying to optimize for, 10 or 15 different things um, as like a negotiating tactic can be a lot of of, of wasted work ultimately Mm -hmm. um, or a deal that doesn't get done. So I found that a lot of people who are doing great deals are really thinking about, you know, what is the ultimate goal here? And, you know, we don't need to quibble over the last minor items if if we're getting what we need at the end of the day. Um, I would say have stamina. Um, You know, I think deals with big companies can take a really long time. I think the longest deal that I've worked on has taken over a year. Wow, yeah. And as a result, it can feel like you want to give up at the end (laughs) just to get it done. (laughs) And that's where you might actually lose a lot of value because you've given up on the things that really matter to you and your company. Um, So you've kind of forgotten that, you know, big picture in mind that you had at the beginning and you'll just give it up just to kind of get it over and say you signed the deal at the end of the day, even though it wasn't the best deal yeah. um, that you could potentially accomplish. Yeah. Um, and then last, I would say like, you know, relentless, you know, there are a lot of companies uh, that I've reached out to where it just wasn't a good time to work with that company. Maybe they were, you know, strapped for resources. Maybe this just wasn't an area of importance to them yet. Hmm. Um, but I always made sure that either I or someone else within the company was checking it every quarter, every six months, whatever made sense for that company, and tried to get it done. And as a result, you know, it may have taken a really long time for it to even get started. Um, but they, those companies came to me first. Because I had been that person who's bugging them for <laughs> years, yeah. um, ultimately. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I figure that's a, a really important trait of people that I've worked with and people who I have ultimately decided to work with because I know that they're 
you know, they're going to get it done because they, they, they never gave up on me in the past. Yeah, right. I've heard something like for cold mailing, this is not 100% related, but for cold mailing, I heard someone say that unless and until I hear a no, I just keep on, I just keep on mailing, keep on mailing, keep on mailing. Only when they say no, do I say, okay, fine, I try and understand what the reason is. And then I go somewhere else. So it's kind of speaking to your relentless point. So, so this is this is an interesting list of things that you're that you say is common across a lot of the really good BD professionals. How are you measuring this or gauging this in someone's application? So I'm guessing an application is basically someone's resume. So what are you looking for in that resume? Sure. Generally, you know, I think it's hard to determine all of these things purely from a resume. I think you'll get a lot of them more so in an interview mm-hmm. um, over a resume, but. Generally, in a resume, I'm I'm looking for someone who has expressed that they've you know probably worked closely with product or engineering teams because uh, that's a really crucial part of of what we do. So some notion of like maybe bringing a new product to market or something to that effect would probably give me some signal that that's something that they've done in the past. Also, I would say um, looking for something like experience doing end to end kind of one of a kind deals. So not necessarily participating in like a program of BD. While that's great and it's it's really you know, interesting work in a lot of cases, it's often very repeatable. And so a lot of the deals that really matter for Stripe and that we're spending a lot of our time on now are not necessarily repeatable deals. They are, you know, in a lot of cases custom and we're trying to figure them out at the beginning and then eventually to become more programmatic. So uh, we're trying to find someone who has done kind of that completely custom deal and just figured figured it out uh, for for whatever made sense for the company uh, that they were at at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, last but not least, I would say um, a focus in the resume on the impact of the deals. So not just like oh, closed a company with Twitter, or sorry, closed a deal with Twitter, mm-hmm. or you know, closed a deal with with Google. But like, what did like what was the impact of that deal? Because I, I think a lot of people stress on big names, but that doesn't really matter if it didn't affect the company right. dramatically at the end of the day. Right. So, quick question for you there. Let's say someone does not have prior deal experience in any form or shape, so no business development and no sort of venture capital or something like that. What can this person do? Sure. So I would say, um, you know, one of the most successful things that I've seen anyone do to date has been actually doing a little bit of work prior to even applying or as part of their application process, rather. Hmm. So I had one person actually apply um, to kind of get their foot in the door and they um, sent over a 10-page deck of a partnership proposal that they thought that the company that I was working for should actually go about and do. And it was extremely thoughtful. Um, it showed that they really cared about working at like the company that I was working at specifically, um, rather than just, you know, any company that they could get a job in mm-hmm. And then last but not least, it really showed their work product. So I could get a sense yeah. of like how they thought, yeah. how they operated, what kind of work that they would do if they were at my company. So that is, what is I think, one really great way of kind of getting your foot in the door. Mm. If you really don't have the BD experience or the, you know, connections in place to kind of get past that 
first resume screen if you don't have the experience that you would typically look for in a role like this. Yeah, that's a great example because even though this person in this example did not have prior BD experience, they illustrated that I can think through a partnership. I can think through what it what a good deal might look like. And so right. that helped this person get through. But also from the way you answer that question, it sounds like that the best way to apply is through a referral. I think so. In, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I would say that BD is very much a kind of role where uh, you're, you know, as, as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's, it's not that your, your network matters as, as everything, but, um, it can be important and crucial. And, you know, for someone who, um, is connected to a lot of people, it's fairly easy to get an intro to me, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. So if you are looking for a role at a company that, that I've worked for, that I work for now, generally I would recommend that you should try to get an introduction to someone on the team first. And that way you can go and warm, get a better sense of what the role is without having to necessarily get into the formal interview process right away. And that can give you like some hints as part of the process. But eventually everyone has to go through the same process yeah. at the end of the day. So that that part is uh, effectively required. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you, you mentioned something very important at the beginning of the discussion that not every company will treat business development as a very important function. So is there a way for, right. yeah, is there a way for a candidate to assess that from the outside how important is business development for this company? Sure. I mean, um, from the outside, I would say certainly thinking about it from a perspective of like, you know, if I were working there, what kind of partnerships would I do, right? Especially at a company that like doesn't have a business development function yet. You know, but I know people who have joined a company in a business development role and then realize that like business development is like, it's a function there, but maybe it's just more programmatic and less highly strategic for that kind of company. And as a result, it didn't really make sense for them to join that kind of company um, at that stage because it wasn't an area where they felt they were strategically aligned to an important function at that company. So in terms of figuring out that through the interview process, I think in a number of ways, when you have the opportunity to ask questions of people who are in the interview process, certainly asking about, hey, what are the kinds of deals that you work on? When a big deal comes up, who in the company do you work with on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are are executives involved? Are um, other cross-functional leaders within the company involved? When, you know, you've had a problem with a particular partnership or a big roadblock, like who comes to help you solve that, right? right Those can right. be, you know, areas where you can get a sense of like, does the company rally behind the partnerships or right. are the partnerships really just um, a nice to have mm-hmm. um, right. that don't get a lot of people interested or kind of involved with the aspects of business development on a day-to-day yeah. basis? Yeah, no, that, those are great ideas. And I'm sure the answers to that can be very telling. Are there any resources that you would want to recommend? So let's say someone is interested in exploring business development a little bit more or maybe things that can be used for preparing for interviews. 
Right. I would say um, ultimately there are a few blog posts that are really interesting. Uh, as an example, Elod Gill uh, has a blog post. I think it's something like, you know, how to hire great business development people or something to that effect, okay. um, which um, I think really rings true to a lot of the things that I believe um, in the hiring process for um, those who work on BD. Um, in tech especially. So I think that's a great blog post to read to get a better sense of, you know, how would I answer these questions if I were kind of going about an interview process? Mm -hmm. And then second, I would say um, just thinking about your strategic communication and thinking through different deal types and scenarios that would make sense for a particular kind of company. So, you know, for example, if I were interviewing at Dropbox, I would want to think about what are the different competitors in Dropbox's space right now? It's everything from you know Google to Microsoft to Apple. And I would want to think about before going into that interview process, what are the different kinds of ways that business development could create a moat around the Dropbox business so that companies like Apple or Google or Microsoft are less successful in competing with a company like Dropbox, right? Uh, So thinking about what's strategic for the business and, and how can this function be helpful and mapping that out. And then last but not least, just be prepared to think about your past experiences, uh, talk about your failures, talk about what hasn't gone so well, because there will be failures in the work that you do around business development and it's all about how you handle it. And then um, really start thinking about how you might work or how you have worked with folks on other teams and other cross-functional organizations, because a lot of the business development interviews that I've participated in have been very cross-functional. So I'm not necessarily just interviewing with, let's say, business development people. I'm interviewing with engineers or product managers or with a person on the legal team. And so my interactions with those people will matter a lot and preparation would be pretty key there. Right. Okay. This is great. This was a slightly long conversation, but I think you have so much good data and insights to share that I wanted to keep on asking you questions. Um, <laughs> are, is there any other advice you'd like to share before we end? Uh, any other for, for people who are interested in, in business development, parting advice? Um, I would just say, uh, try to find a company that has a really great cultural and strategic fit with how you like to do deals and business development. So if you like to, you know, strong arm a negotiation <laughs> and, um, and, and have a very aggressive way of operating, um, it might make sense to, to join a company where, where that's the style and part for the course versus another company where that's less important. Um, so think about the kind of cultural ethos of the company that you're joining and what makes sense. Second, I, I would just say, try to join a company where you can really learn from other people, specifically people who've been doing business development for a lot longer than you have, or folks who have done particularly like one of a kind and special deals that are you know, career making or career defining in a number of ways. And, and try to work with those really great people because that experience will certainly teach you a lot. 
Yeah, that those, these are great points. And I'm guessing you can find this information by just sort of looking at the business development team uh, on the company's website and then looking at their profiles and doing some digging around what deals has this company done in the past and who was involved where. Yeah, uh, press releases and blog posts are great examples of this. If it's important enough, then the company's probably talked about that particular deal. So that's a great way to understand you know, what's important enough for the company to be shouting from the rooftops about Right, right. All right. Thank you so much, Christina. This was wonderful. Really, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, good night. We're recording this at night. So it's 10 p.m. now. <laughs> of course. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Thanks, Christina. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us. Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.